Welcome to another edition of Are You Shitting Me? A podcast that dives into random topics that may surprise and educate you and hopefully make you laugh along the way. At least that's our goal, especially for each other. I am one of your hosts, Aaron. With me as always is my good friend and co-host, Brett. What's up, shitters? <laughs> How you doing? Studio B, representing. Representing, yeah, and, and we have some friends with us here today. We do, we've got Len, who was recently on our UFO discussion, and Len's a pretty decent guy, so we thought we'd have him back and join us today. Yeah, welcome back. What's up, everyone? How's it going? What the audience may not know is that there were so many downloads of the UFO episode that they forced me to come back. That's right. So <laughs> if you haven't listened to it yet, please go back and listen to it. And share it with your friends. Right. Yeah. So here's a special treat. We've got Chuck. Chuck in the house. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Good to have you back, man. Chuck was the, the first special guest that we had on. He's special, but he was the first guest that we had on our show. It's an honor. Back by popular demand. Really appreciate you guys having me back. So I was super you. excited that you're coming back for this one. Yeah. As of today, recording, there were no downloads of that episode. <laughs> we put it in the archives. It'll play at a later date. Yeah. It's the only episode that has negative plays. <laughs> People have sent it back. <laughs> We're really excited to have you both here. It's going to be a, a fun topic. Brett's been talking about this one forever. Why don't you give us a little insight of what we're talking about today? Yeah, so I found some juicy tidbit on the amazing internet that we have, and I want to talk a little bit about some bands, and we'll get into the specific bands here shortly. I think for all of us, it's going to be a trip down memory lane with some of these bands, and we'll see if these bands are all that they were cracked up to be. We'll have some fun, get some good stories of our youth. and Yeah. Speaking of bands, I'm going to do a self-promotion plug here a little bit. My band, Humans Among Us, for anyone who's listened, they probably have heard me talk about it before, but we have music out now. Dude, I heard your song on the radio. It's cool. <laughs> check it out, humansamongus.com, and you can check out all the links and listen to music on Spotify and iTunes. Yeah, I, Odd Man out here, the three of you, at least know how to play the guitar a little bit, and I don't. I, I, I own some, but... That is the first step in learning how to play. Putting strings on second step. You have three guitars, but you don't know how to play yet. That is true. Correct. <laughs> yes. Chicks dig it. <laughs> oh, you got a guitar! <laughs> so, can't play right on my fingers well, brain, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to show you. Fingers are very sensitive. I don't know if I could do guitar. Before we get a dive into that, let's, let's talk about our episode beer. Oh. Oh, yeah. Len, you brought another one this time, right? I did. Yes. This is Bottle Logic Brewing, which is from Anaheim, California. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. This is called Paisley Cave Complex. It is a barrel-aged imperial blueberry stout. Nice. Yeah. Ooh. Chuck, you're a big barrel-aged beer kind of guy, aren't you? Sure am. Yep. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything imperial. <laughs> <laughs> I've got your Modelo, by the way. Uh, Thank you. It's a good, great Mexican golden lager. I like it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, interestingly, this beer on the label gives you all kinds of crazy information about the beer itself. They give you a project brief, which says Imperial Stout brewed with marshmallows, aged in bourbon barrels, finished with cacao nibs, cacao. blueberries, and natural flavors. Wow. There is also a viscosity meter. This is a seven on the viscosity meter. And there are some director's notes. So I don't know what this means, but dusk settles beyond the cave while sparks of man's first fire crackles. So they were high. When it sounds this. like it, right? Now, and you're a big nibs guy, aren't you there, Lynn? Did you say nibs or nips? Yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Cocoa nips. This sounds amazing, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Full disclosure, it was refrigerated and then left out for at least an hour or so here to warm up a little bit. Yeah, I think stouts, like room temperature stouts is where it's at, especially the barrels. Stuff, that, yeah. Isn't that how they drink it in uh, Europe? Yeah. America's more of tearing it in to a cold beer, which should really be a warmer beer. That's at least that's the version. You know what? We're gonna have to do a, a to Europe. To Europe. We're gonna have to do. We should do a podcast there. We, well, we will. And yeah, we'll do a warm beer tour. Oh, warm beer and piss tour. Yeah. All right. So Len holy has shit, just, that smells good. Just distributed our beer for us. Wow, that smells really good. Chuck's gonna be like one and done. This is a twelve point five percent ABV. Oh, all right. Very blueberry smell. Yeah. V very yeah. I, immediately off the top, it, wow, I get the man. blueberry and the flavor, flavor too. Man, that cuts through. Nice. Crap. Wow. And then the aftertaste, it's lingering in my mouth, that blueberry flavor. Yeah. You know what I like, though? We've had this before with beers on our episode beers, as well as in our own life. Some that are just so fake flavor. Mm -hmm. This doesn't come across as being a fake 
right. blueberry to me. It wasn't like they just took some oil and put it in there. Some of the season. peanut butter ones I've come across yes. always have a weird nutty flavor. But or this, cherry. Yeah. The cherry's yes. a really hard flavor to get. Yeah. yeah. This is fantastic. Who is this again? Bottle Logic. It's very sweet, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it, it, it's got a very nice blueberry flavor that just sticks yeah. around. I, I don't think we've discussed it before, but Len is a little bit of a beer geek as well, like Aaron and myself. Chuck, not as big of a, a beer geek, or I should say not the craft beer geek. Chuck, would you say that you're more about quantity over quality when it comes to beer? <laughs> are we talking about women or are we talking about beer? Two we? <laughs> <laughs> words wisely. I certainly appreciate a good craft beer, especially in the, in the industry that I work in, running a bar. I, I have an appreciation for it. I, I like them. Well, what I always tell people is at the beginning of the night, I'll have a few, but by the end of the night, I'm drinking Miller Lite. That's just what I, that's just my go-to and it's just what I like to do. I'm comfortable mm -hmm. with it. You can drink like a whole bunch of them and not really feel like super bad with those either. Yes. So, you know, one of these and you're done, I think. Like and almost 13%. And then the, yeah. and that's the thing with the craft beers is if you're not paying attention to the alcohol percentage and you're used to drinking beer all the time, it, it'll catch up to you. My first time with Bourbon County, well, I think I mentioned on the first podcast, yeah. I told you the story. <laughs> yeah. When you Chuck, don't know. Chuck went to town drinking four or five of those, six of those, and yeah, I drank a full six pack after a night out. Jeez. Oh my gosh! And then I, a couple hours later, I was wasted, and I was <laughs> like, "How did I get?" And I, I turned the can around and looked at the percentage, like Jesus. So that kind of taught me a lesson real quick. Wow. Respect it for what it is. Yeah, I almost would argue this is one of my favorite beers we've had on the episodes uh, on any of the I, shows so far. I would far. say it's close up there with the Bourbon County. Yeah, not quite Bourbon County. Definitely sweet. So if you're not into a sweet beer, this will not be your thing. Or but, if you're diabetic, maybe stay away from it. But otherwise, it's right? pretty good. Wow. Notch, good stuff. Yeah. All right, let's talk rock and roll. Let's do it. So I dig out your CD players, gentlemen. You have them, right? You do, do you still have a CD player? Um, there is a CD player in one of our vehicles. Still. Yeah. Okay. There's one in my car. Although there's a CD stuck in it right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that usually seems to be the, the case after so many years, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it one of yours? No, actually, no. It's a, it's a it's a guy who lives down the street. He gave it to me, and it was like it was just one of his stuff. He's like, here, check it out. It's some stuff I recorded on his phone or something one time. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll listen to it the way into work one day. I suck it in, and now it's in there. I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. I cannot eject it. But at least it's not bad. It, it's worst case scenarios are in the middle of the desert and don't have any radio stuff I could listen to it and be like okay this is cool so you guys are all similar in age but not exactly the same age Chuck and I are both 50 <laughs> Len is 42 so he's, he's the young pup of the group yeah. yeah which I was told when I was talking to people about this that it was a unrealistic representation of people being able to weigh in on some of this topic but fuck those people yeah you know what <laughs> if they were cool enough I would have invited them so anyway Hey, do you remember your first CD player in your vehicle or your very first one you had? I remember the first CD I had, which was LL Cool J's Radio. Yeah, it was like 1986. Yeah, yeah, it's still a banger. Yeah, I remember getting that. I moved to the Philippines and we got a CD player then. And you had the tape of that or the CD of that? Yeah, I it was the, the very I first the CD I bought. I had yeah. the tape of that one. Does your, does your vehicle now still have a cassette player? Mine does not, no. Chuck? No, CD player, but not a cassette player. You remember back when you had to have your CD player? It was like the little CD Walkman thing, and, and you had oh, to yeah. have that adapter thing. It was like the cassette yeah. thing yeah, with yeah, the wire. Disc yeah, with yeah. the cassette, yeah, straight up pimping. And you were so cool if <laughs> you yeah, were that. cool. Right. I thought I was so cool. I, when I lived in New York, I, I had one of the pull-out radio things. Oh, disc changers or whatever? Yeah, I don't remember that. But no, because now you could just take off the face. But yeah. mine was the whole radio came out because I had one thing. of those. I know you're talking about. Maybe it, was, maybe it was an East Coast thing. It was everyone stealing your radio. Yeah, and, I think that was yeah. pretty common for the day for when you'd buy an aftermarket stereo. The thing was, though, is if you if you had that, it's like yeah, okay, it's great because no one can steal my radio. But now I got to carry around my radio, so you look like a <laughs> you look like an idiot. <laughs> like this small little briefcase it was. It was like it was like a yeah small piece of luggage that you would have to carry around with you. Yeah, what a pain in the ass those discman things were. If you think mm -hmm. about back now, yeah, you had it took up your whole console. You had the CD player plus wires hanging everywhere. Plus you had the power into your your cigarette lighter what a mess it's only a mess because we have the perspective now of having it all on our phone yeah at the time it was the like time, this is just cool it was awesome <laughs> did you ever go running with a discman no they just skipped the whole time yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. i used to mow the lawn with it yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, right. and you the... thought you were cool yeah i remember I first you had the sony walkman though that was the thing the big oh, yeah. the yellow I had, sony I had walkman the, yellow the, the cassette 
thing. That was the bomb back yeah. in the day. Had the little belt clip and everything. Yeah. So, you yeah. got a Sony Walkman, yeah. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, fuck I do, yeah. <laughs> I can go underwater with this and still listen to music if I wanted to. <laughs> That's right. I could be drowning listening to music. <laughs> yeah. So your first CD was what again? Oh, Cool J's Radio. Len? Boy, I don't remember my first CD. I do remember Did the, you first, cassettes? the first cassettes I had okay. were Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Yes. And then Metallica, Ride the Lightning. Those were my first two. Two cassettes. very good albums. Distinctly Still remember good albums. those. Yes. Wow. What, your first CD? You remember what my, it was? My first CD. It's funny that you brought that up because I'm good like that. I want. It's actually one of the bands we're going to talk about today, which some people like, and some people don't. Was Ten by Pearl Jam, <laughs> because I was still listening to cassettes up until I actually. My parents bought me a CD player, and they brought me that that CD. So that was, I don't know if it was the first one, but it was by far the, one of the first ones. Yeah. Mine was a, a, a Billy Joel CD. I don't remember specifically which one. Billy Joel had the fir- first commercially available CD on the market. I did not know that, yeah. actually. I, I don't remember which one it was, but <laughs> yeah. Billy Joel was first. We could stop the conversation right there. I learned something today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just wait, friend. Your mind is going to be blown. You guys ever join up in the Columbia House? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How many times did you sign up? Or no, don't admit to it. (laughs) I would go back and forth between Columbia House and BMG. Yeah. So you do Columbia House, you get all the CDs, then you cancel. Then you go to BMG, take a little couple month break from Columbia. You got to play play the game. I did the same thing. Oh, yeah. Those were awesome. I got so much of my collection was That's from those two. Collection. Yeah. How do you yeah. think that they made money? Because everybody was doing that, right? You order ten. Wasn't it like ten like cents for, for a penny, penny or something? Yeah. But then you got into the subscription, right? Then you were supposed to buy more at a regular price. Mm-hmm. You had but to buy who, a minimum. Who did though. that? Who? who d- I never did that. I don't know my friends never did it. I'm sure people across the country were not doing it. So I'm wondering, like, did they? Yeah, and at that point, you could send in a check. You didn't have to have a credit card. You right. could send in a, send you in a check. You have to be a real person. Here's though. an IOU, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is just as good. You might want to hold on to that. All right. I know how this discussion is going to go, but we're going to talk about some classic rock bands, five of them or so. Actually, there's going to be there's going to be quite a few that we discuss. Some of these bands, Chuck mentioned Pearl Jam. I think that they'll fall into the grunge metal category Mm -hmm. but we'll get into that some of our younger listeners probably don't even know what grunge is i don't know grunge is making a comeback man oh is it let's give them some credit yeah all right what is grunge for our listeners grunge was really a response to the hair metal and fake music of the 80s it was really an aggressive in your face simple kind of rock music that younger fans at the time were just craving something that was real is grunge out of metal? Some people I w- I would, would say, say... I was going to say gr- grunge is a derivative of, of punk of, of, if it's more of anything. So punk and metal? I mean, because it's uh, got no, elements. I, I say it's more punk and all, all, what would be considered alternative rock, which you'd call nowadays, but just because the energy, the attitude... And where, like what Len was saying, where it was coming from. Because if you remember at that time, there was a point right before grunge happened where it just got so played out. It became so music productive and they're just spinning these it's fucking, just an act yeah now. it's just an it's act just, it just lost its validity to it. at least that's how i felt as a listener so when it did come out to me it did have that kind of like punk attitude in your face mm-hmm. fuck you we're not doing this bullshit and, it, and i think a lot of the rhythm structure is, is similar to punk and mm-hmm. simple chords and not too many effects to it but at the time it was interesting though because i think that grunge had that whole like if it wasn't metal it was grunge yeah. but now looking back there's probably maybe just a handful of bands that i would really consider grunge because i wouldn't consider jim blossom's grunge i wouldn't consider some of these other bands that were coming out at the same time grungy either but it was either metal or grunge alternative it wasn't a, a a real genre at that time. That was, label didn't come out until after. That, right. like, a band think, like Alice in Chains, like how exactly. Do you, how, gonna, where do you categorize right, them? Exactly. Are they rock? Are they metal? For are me, they grunge? The, the the core grunge is Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and maybe Stone Temple Pilots. And that's about. It. I don't consider Bush grunge, uh, and I think they're borderline on that. But I don't yeah. really consider Bush grunge, and I love Bush. Yeah. So metal, in my little research, it looks like that was a response to stuff that was after like the 70s mm-hmm. and you know some of those i wouldn't say after but it started at the late 70s yeah i would say even maybe black late, sabbath late was 60s. really the first metal band right. I, 60s 70s i think mm-hmm. is when it started but i think it was just a at, at that time an alternative to what was going on i definitely yeah. think metal roots in like a blues chord driven yeah like a psychedelic sound almost i think grunge was mainstream definitely by early 90s yeah but 
Well, let's go ahead and get a dive into the first band that we're going to dissect. Metallica. Sorry, Metallica. <laughs> so Metallica, self-titled album, Metallica, also known as the Black Album, was, in my opinion, a launching point for them without album. I wouldn't say a launching point, but it was it was their crossover into mainstream. Yeah. And that's something that a lot yeah. of people are like, oh, they're selling out and yeah. becoming mainstream. But mm-hmm. I think that's what launched them into... From a metal band to a mega band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't watch a football game now without hearing. understand, man. Yeah. Once you make it to stadium and arena, you're, then that means you, oh, so you're, you're it. Like, I, so who let the dogs out is now they've made it, huh? <laughs> they've made it. Absence to that rule. <laughs> I cringe every time that comes up. Chuck's like, I immediately retract my statement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I reserved the I right thought we were to talking about music. I apologize. <laughs> Interesting for me about Metallica is that, and and I think they are a unique case study in music, but I, I think they really, we, we talked about them bringing metal into the mainstream in the 90s, but I think they also really started what would be considered thrash metal. Yeah, like I was going to say that. When they first yeah. started as a band in the Kill early 80s, oh, it was, yeah, that was a new style of music that came to the U.S. And then over that 10 years, they continued that, and then... If we're talking about the Black Album in 1991, it was a complete shift in the way that they were developing songs, in the type of musical structure, in the way that the the bass interacted in the band and the lyrics. And so it almost was a complete identity change for them in 1991. I remember watching a documentary where they were talking about James Hetfield went and took vocal lessons so he could learn how to sing. Because prior to that, it was a lot of just... It wasn't shouting. I don't really consider him not singing before, but it was a little bit more melodic, where before it was just angsty and angry and that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and, interesting fact about that is all the albums prior to the Black Album, he doubled his lyrics. So yeah. he would sing and it would have the vocal would have to be simple and straightforward enough that he could sing over it again in the exact mm-hmm. same way. Yeah. And then starting on the Black Album, he, they stopped doing that. So he could actually do some inflections and say, yeah, or, or do a little <clears throat> weird things with his voice. So. Yeah. I, you know, we're talking about the Black Album as their kind of crossover, but I got to say their song one from Injustice for All was really probably their first crossover. and that But that was really the only song on that album that I think made the crossover. And it was on MTV. They yeah. did a video. Well, yeah, the, the video, video was, was what got you. Yeah, and you're just watching that. Like, this is so cool. For a long, for a... Absolutely. That video is just yeah. engaging. Holy crap. That Man, those songs that have those kind of crescendos in them, wow. Like, that just gets you, and you're like, you totally get engaged, and you get pumped That's up. That's where the thrash parts come. That's if you're If we're talking about before the Black Album, I love Metallica. They're one of my most favorite bands. But thrash bands, I like Pantera. I'm a huge Pantera fan. You, you had them back there. I don't know if anybody remembers Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah, oh, they yeah. were the basis for Anthrax. Mm-hmm. Anthrax was another one. Slayer. Like, all those guys. I love that, Slayer. That music is, that was like the shit of the time. That, that was, was my, yeah, very that's high all energy. I to. It was very, I don't know if I want to say underground, but it wasn't, it wasn't mainstream, that's for sure. And there was a certain group of people that, only listen to that. We call them metalheads. And I think Metallica is the band that really brought all that mainstream and made it more acceptable for other people to listen to that type of music without feeling like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I can't let other people know I listen to this type of music. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and look at them now. They're on commercials. They're they're everywhere. And we'll get to that. But those songs, Nothing Else Matters and Unforgiven. Yeah, it's yep. a big one. Wherever I May Roam. Like, those Sad songs are huge. Yep. And they're like, to your point, Chuck, like a staple on so many things. Yeah. Like you hear them. You don't even realize you hear them or you know it, but you hear it. Yeah, you know, the Sad But True, those things, man, the, the guitars on that whole album, it just really punched through for me. I started playing guitar in 89 and I was, like I said, I was a metalhead, but like that album was like, holy shit, the tone of this just sounds huge and just such an aggressive Very sound. Powerful. It was just powerful. such a great album. So tell me, Aaron, I'm going to ask you, Metallica, were they or are they, I think we've answered this, were they or are they relevant? The, either the band or this LP specifically, specifically this LP. How, how relevant I think, yes, I think they are. And I was, I also got into them though before then. I was Ride the Lightning and, and, and Master of Puppets. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were, they, those songs, those albums are great too. Now, I will say, I didn't enjoy them as much until 91 when that album came out and I went back and paid more attention to it. It, it was, I, I had the albums, but yeah, I didn't but I listen think to them. Like, that's a thing that they have to do. If you release an album, and it doesn't make your listeners want to go back and listen to your old stuff too, mm-hmm. then you've either lost your 
yeah. connection or your ability or whatever. A good, a really good band or artist, that's what they do. You're like, I, oh, I, shit. I think that there's nothing more exciting as a listener when you discover a new band to find out they've been around. Right. Then you go and you explore whatever album or their most popular songs, and then even you're like, I really got to check these guys out. And you go back into the history. they're completely different than what they are now. Yeah. But but if it makes you go back and listen, that's cool. A really good example of that for me is Aerosmith. I, I didn't even realize they were around in the 70s. My first introduction with them was Permanent Vacation, which was late 80s, and then, of course, Elevator or Pump, Pump. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, next. But then you go back and, like, oh, shit, they've been putting stuff out since those, the 70s. Those are good albums, but they, they weren't like what they put out before. Not Yeah, exactly. I, I wish DMC. Like, that was the shit. Um, that's how way. I actually got in more into Aerosmith because I was into hip hop really before I was into rock. Right, you used we to were be talking a, about LL Cool J and used Run to be DMC, a beatboxer, weren't you? And yeah, you I used, used to bring cardboard with you and really <laughs> in in like fifth or sixth grade, we would actually sit out in the playgrounds and and do break dancing and shit in the dude, in the. We, we did that too. It was, I had a it Michael was Jackson jacket, dude. I thought it was the shit. <laughs> Red with the black black stripes. How'd like that. that hold up? <laughs> you know what? It didn't. My outfit never worked because I my mom wouldn't let me get parachute pants, so the outfit was never oh, complete. But yeah. man, so to get back to your question about is Metallica around relevant today i think no, i didn't ask you i know but i'm jumping in <laughs> he's putting his back on track oh, we're in the ship yeah. so as i thought about that question there's really a few different things that i would consider would make a band relevant so one would be does the band symbolize a genre of music uh, are they symbolic of a genre of music? Like when you think of metal, is Metallica a band that you think of? It's in the name. The second point would be, has that band inspired other musicians or other bands over time? I would also think we got to look at record sales. How are the record sales? And then are there new generations of fans? Are there new fans that are coming into it? And are there 30-year-olds and are there 20-year-olds that are getting into it and loving it? Awesome. I love, was there another list or another item on your no. list? That was it. Okay, I didn't no, want to I, I just, it, I, I, I think that's off. a good way to think about relevance. We're going like to use that. I'll, I'll refer to you since you've created this list. It will refer to you on that when we're talking about these other bands as well now did any of you have did metallica impact your life somehow yeah i I can i can say for me because when the when the black album came out that that was 91 i had graduated high school just left for basic training speaking of sony walkmans i snuck my sony walkman into basic training and i had to hide it you weren't supposed to have it contraband man yeah it was (laughs) yeah it was it was considered contraband and the one album i think i bought down at at the px was the metallica cassette and every fucking chance I get, and during basic training, I listen to that thing you up, know, you know, upside and down. Like I've got this image of you with the yellow headphones and the wire that you're trying to hide. You couldn't listen to it. You, you listen to it at night, but you had to hide it somewhere in your locker or it wouldn't be found for inspection. So yeah. you had to hide it somewhere. I, I wasn't the only one doing this at this time. Other people were doing it too, but... For me, that's just how I remember really like I like a justice for all ride the lightning. I listened to those, but I wasn't really into them. And what you just said after that album, I went back and and really started Mm -hmm. to get into them and listen to the catalog of all their stuff. Yeah. But that one album just kind of got me through that time. It wasn't a rough time or anything, but that's just kind of how I identify. It was a pretty cool experience for me. I would definitely agree with those sentiments. The lyrics resonated with me yeah. as a young kid. And it also, Aaron, I, I think you were alluding to this a few minutes ago, did inspire me to play guitar. Yeah. That was really the album that, that the kind Metallica of... Metallica album did? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really? Or just hearing how powerful those guitars were mm-hmm. on that album. It just was new. It was something that was foreign to me at that point. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. For me, it was like I started playing in 89 and the two albums I can pull out as these are the seminal ones as a kind of a trying to learn guitar and trying to play guitar was Metallica's Black Album and Nirvana Nevermind. They never came out of my CD player. They were always in and every time I got it to play this is what I was playing. Damn, that's like 40% of your uh, CDs in your mix there. (laughs) You guys still listen to Metallica? Yeah, I do. They just put out some new music. They did. They did. Yeah, actually. They already uh, sold out for their tour for next year. Chuck and I looking at like concert tickets and I'm like, man, if there's not a meet and greet, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested and then it was you wasn't it and it was like oh yeah they're meet and greet tickets or how much i don't even remember it was a insane amount of money no more than that no it was a thousand dollars or something i'm like well but it's like a whole day event you get to go they better give me like a back rub (laughs) for a thousand (laughs) dollars james hatfield comes out yeah (laughs) (laughs) nice hands man sing to me while you're doing that your fingers are a little rough from playing guitar i don't listen to them as much as i used to if it's on the radio i won't turn it off i know I made my plug earlier on, but if you listen to my music, it's, it's very different from that kind of stuff now. And we actually call it like space groove and or lounge kind of music. So it's completely
complete opposite spectrum of metal. So you're anymore. saying you guys are a lounge act. I'm more of a psychedelic <laughs> kind of rock person now at this point, but I still enjoy it. And there's certainly times where I just put it in and I just want to drive and listen to Metallica or Slayer or any of those old bands. Overkill, I love Overkill. And it's not a mainstream stuff, but I'll blast that any day of the week, especially in the summer. Open the windows up and crank it. So I will I will uh, answer all the questions. I did not like Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so. in fairness, your first album was Billy Joel's. I mean, Metallica was not something that, uh, I mean, I didn't know anybody that, that listened to it. And, and I'm sure I did. Not I even like the, not even the Black Album? Hey, hey. What didn't I you like about it? Was you just not metal or you just weren't into metal at all? Or was it? It just wasn't on your radar? Yeah, it, it definitely, it wasn't on my radar. Definitely. I, I was a very sheltered uh, kid and I listened to a lot of oldies. <laughs> Who put the bump in the bump, bump, whatever. I had never owned any Metallica song, album, cassette, anything until about a month ago. Len bought me Metallica vinyl. Okay. Right. Which, which album? The Black the Album. The Black Album. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Because I can handle that. Again, it just wasn't It just wasn't something that I was exposed to. And yeah, it was the Metalheads. And I wasn't a Metalhead. I was a little prep kid, turtleneck and right. sweater and hey guys. suspenders. <laughs> and, yeah. My penny loafers. You guys got the new Billy Joel album? <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Did you say penny loafers? I said penny loafers. Did you wear penny loafers? I'm sorry. I like you said panty loafers. Well, <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> same difference. Sorry, this episode's about rock. I did. I wore penny loafers when I didn't have to. Yeah, I did the peg leg roll on my jeans, which I heard is coming back. That explains back. so much, I did, man. I did that. BC yeah. Boys brought that in. Uh, I never roll. pegged my jeans. You never pegged no. your jeans? No. Uh -uh. I did that for a while. Yeah, I did it for a long while. I yeah. had the acid wash jeans, that kind of stuff, but I never pegged them. I used to wear the, the IZOD polos with the collar up and the peg jeans. Yeah. 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 Nice. Did you do the two polos? I never, I never got into that. Was that real? Did people actually do that? Because I've recently seen that on TV. I'm like, I don't remember yes. anybody ever remember seeing it. I don't. I never got that. I don't, I, I don't, I don't remember people doing that. All right, we're gonna move on. This next one, I am excited to to discuss. I do know how some people feel about them. Let's talk about Pearl Jam. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> wow. Len, do you, do you have any fond memories of Pearl Jam? I actually did enjoy listening to Pearl Jam for a little while when they came out. And I remember owning 10 and Versus, and I remember listening to those albums, and I remember them being in the rotation of music that I listened to. I don't overly have memories of the band other than that. No fond memories. No fond memories. And then at some point, I don't even know what happened. I just became incredibly turned off by Pearl Jam and just really stopped listening to them. And I don't know if it was, I, I can't even pinpoint what it was for me that caused that, but I, now I just just, I, I can't listen to them. But you're, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, but is it is it because Pearl Jam is no longer grungy or that metal-y? For me, looking back on it now, as I've come just to be more refined in my in knowing what my own musical tastes are, it's just watered down rock for me it is what it feels like at this point. And there's just so many other bands that I would rather listen to. Give me one that you would rather listen to than Pearl Jam. Yeah. Any of them. Any band. <laughs> <laughs> I got a Billy Joel CD I've got available. Put on Harry Styles and I'll be like, yeah, I agree. I would totally listen to the Harry Styles or even yeah. like any pop stuff right now today over Pearl Jam. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Dude, don't knock Taylor. I, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, but I have never been a Pearl Jam fan. From the get go, I could not stand Eddie Vedder's voice. As a big Pearl Jam fan, Chuck, I, I wouldn't consider myself. Oh, I don't back off now. You were talking <laughs> I, so I, highly of them. And I, well, I, I said that 10 was one of my first CDs, and I would definitely consider them grunge. And one okay. of the bands that put grunge on the I agree with that. I definitely the think they're on the grunge. I mean, to me, it was Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. People say, I was, I've always been an Alice in Chains fan, but I, I will debate whether they are actually considered grunge or not. But I would can, agree I with can have a, We can have a whole hour discussion on Alice in Chains if you'd like. They're one of my most favorite bands. But Same. Pearl Jam, I actually think that Ted is one of, the, one of my most favorite albums. I just think every song on that album is, is really good. Versus Animals, I liked those two. And then there was a point where they just don't really appeal to me anymore. And like now if they're on the radio, I'll listen to them. Um, and I think they have their place in, in music history, definitely in grunge. I think the thing about grunge is that it's a real hard genre to continue to have the same tone to. It's hard to repeat what you started. And I just think that there's only so many variations of it. You could argue that with any kind of music, but I think more particularly to grunge, to stay relevant, it's harder to continue to have a, a, an album that's going to be the same as your last with as, as much success to it. And I think that's where Pearl Jam. The one thing that I will say is that, you know, if you listen to interviews by Eddie Vedder, he acknowledges the fact that he knows that they lost some of their original fan base. And he's like, we made a decision 
in our career. We're just going to play what we want to play and people can either listen to it or not listen to it. And I respect that. Yeah. I respect that as an artist. I would just say now, you know, like these guys, I don't have as much animosity as, as Aaron has toward them. <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly appreciate them for what they are. But yeah, that that's just, it's, they're really not what I listen to. So, now. so were they, were they relevant back with, with yeah. 10? Yes, absolutely. I think absolutely. I think they were definitely one of the bands that put grunge on the map and, yeah, and, and, changed, and changed the, the dynamics of music and where it was at the time. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of Jeremy. Just doesn't do much really? for me. Yeah. Len, what were your your criteria? Let's so are we, we going to evaluate on these? Yeah, let's evaluate ten. Okay, so if we think about are they relevant? Has Pearl Jam? Do they symbolize a, a genre of music? And yeah. I think we all said that yes, they yeah. they, they are yeah, part of. I agree, they do. Yep. Have they inspired other successful bands or musicians? I'm sure they have because I think it's a hard question to say because I think there's depending on what you're listening to, this is that's what inspires you, and whether or not you end up there is one thing. But I do think that there were people who liked it and got into it, and I don't even know how. You, I know you listen to them, and you say you play guitar, and it probably inspired some of the stuff you played. Maybe who knows? I wonder if they're bigger in the Northwest because none of us are possible up there. Maybe they've got a bigger following impact Mm -hmm. than we're aware of because yeah. we're not there. If we talk about record sales, Pearl Jam 10 has sold about 15 million. You can't sneeze at that. That's can't sneeze at that at all. Um, I would say that they're one of the in, enduring bands from grunge anyway. Whether you like them or not, they're, they're like you Are just they said. even still together? Pearl yeah. Jam? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then would you guys say that they have continued to inspire new generations of fans? No. I think that's a tough one for this. I don't know. I don't know. How do you answer that question unless you've been to a concert? I think that there's a few bands and artists who would be like I was inspired by and they'd flat out tell you in an interview and so you know or if you hear them doing like somebody doing a cover or a knockoff of something I think there's some people out there who still oh man I listen to Pearl Jam all, every day and I have some friends who do that but yeah. I think to our to your point earlier you listen to them and then you fade it out of them and I think that's probably a, a, a good case for a lot same with you Chuck and, and I think that's probably a good case for uh, across the board I think mm -hmm. their their luster kind of faded and I don't think they're they're doing what they're doing unless you're a ukulele player in which case, because he put out that whole ukulele album, I don't think they're inspiring anybody anymore. Yeah, nobody knew that. Let me tell you, Pearl Jam 10, never listened to it, never liked it, never, it did nothing for me. Jesus, Brett. <laughs> yeah. I will say this, as much as I don't like them, I have a respect for songwriters and people who can craft lyrics and tell a good story. You can't knock some of the stuff, like Jeremy Black, some of those songs mm -hmm. that they had. Mm -hmm. They told a good story. Whether you liked them or not, it was well-crafted lyrics. I just don't, I, I think for me, it was more of... I just didn't like his voice. And I didn't like their sound. It wasn't so much anything else besides that. It just wasn't. I didn't. I, I'm not a big into the whole mumbling kind of stuff and uh, enunciate, motherfucker. Yeah, some of, me, yeah. Blah, me, yeah. Blah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I would say in regards to the, the songwriting, it, they do have something unique, and Eddie Vedder has something unique, especially like his vocal. Not only his style, but the the inflections of where he sings his song. It's not he doesn't sing in like a a, a normal cadence that you would see in a lot of rock mm -hmm. songs, right? He creates his own thing. His inflections are in different places, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. But he does also have that mumbling effect, which sometimes is pretty fucking annoying. I'm I'm a I like Stone Gossard. I think he's I think he's a cool guitarist, and there's the other contributions to the other, from the other band members. I definitely hear some Hendrix in him, and if you listen to Led Better Heights. The, that could be like a true, could consider it a true ripoff of Little Wing, but yeah. and some of his other things, you, you hear it too, but so credit where credit is due. That I, I don't knock anybody. If you're making a living doing this, then more power to you. Good for you. Let's move on. I think I know where most of us are on this one. Guns and Roses, Use Your Illusion double album. Technically two albums, but... Use Your Illusion is the album you chose to talk about? Yeah. You're, you're pulling out versus uh, Appetite? Uh, appetite for Destruction? Use Your Illusion. I'm going to talk about appetite. I'm sorry. No, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about use your illusion. I have thoughts on use your illusion as well. But all right, yeah. good. <laughs> well, all right, tell me. Uh, I feel like you need to start from the beginning on that one. If you're going to talk about use your illusion, then you need to talk about appetite because the true impact of yes. Guns N' Roses is appetite for destruction. Mm -hmm. I like, don't care about appetite for destruction. I'll tell you right now. You know where <laughs> Guns N' Roses is for me. <clears throat> never liked them, never listened to them. Jesus. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if you're I think you're a rock and roller. That's I mean, right. Fans <laughs> that Brett hates. Maybe we should just have a podcast on Billy Joel. <laughs> we're going to come back for soft rock uh, and have a whole other discussion on that. Did you, were you a listen, Journey, are you a listen. Journey fan? <laughs> 
what's wrong with journey <laughs> that's where we go <laughs> so no i'm not a journey fan okay i to be clear i acknowledge that all these bands had their place and these albums that i am picking and i chose use your illusion it i never i still don't own i've never owned it i've never purchased a song but i don't necessarily turn them off like when they're on the radio but there was never i never identified with guns and roses man i guns and roses has almost a regular rotation for me still i can't think of about uh, I, I don't go longer than a month without probably listening to appetite that that album for me was huge and I, it still is huge and i and, and use your illusion wasn't bad either i actually went to uh, i remember going out uh, sam goody it was in Linda, virginia <laughs> beach midnight release and got use your illusion one and two and came back and listened to them and i loved them i, I think they are the closest albums that guns N' roses put out to appetite all the other stuff i don't think i have any kind of care for i, I don't i can't i know all the other albums i have them all but i don't spaghetti listen to those incident. spaghetti incident yeah, and oh. the chinese even the chinese, chinese, uh, chinese democracy. Democracy. yeah you know that's rough that one is rough you know it only took what five six years to come out too and then have it be not even the members it was pretty much axel rose and axel rose yeah, whatever yeah. hired hands he had at the time for to yeah. call guns and roses but yeah so for me absolutely appetite destruction stands out way more than the user illusion albums but i will say that for the user illusion albums what i found so compelling were two things one was they were the first kind of mainstream band that really latched on to creating some longer songs mm -hmm. and didn't give a shit about yeah. whether yeah. they were yeah. yeah. on, on the okay um, I, I liked that song i, I love coma coma is my favorite one yes. of my favorite songs on that album and there are some was it civil eight, war 10 too, minute right? songs civil, civil yeah. war yeah. on that album that are just crushers yeah. and they didn't care about the radio play yeah the other thing that that really impressed me about those two albums was that they did don't cry two completely Different separate versions, versions of yeah. lyrics in, yeah. in, on those albums and, and just never and just the the ability to do that just seems i can't even fathom it was awesome for me those definitely stood out for me in terms of if we're talking about relevance and things like that you can't you absolutely can't put use your illusion above appetite for destruction i, I agree but it's a close it's a second for me I, I think one and two both of them are equally as good and i think it depends on the day and the mood whether or not you like one or two because they are even though between those two they're very separate different kind of vibes in the entire album but overall as a whole it's good but i agree appetite is still hands down and i think it actually still is one of the top selling albums of all time the other like the unintended consequence i think of to use your illusion albums and tours and what happened with guns and roses after that is that i think people started to realize that axel rose exemplified a generation who only cared about themselves mm -hmm. and you could see the implosion after that within the band and the and introduction even, to grunge and yes yeah yeah but you're probably right i think illusion was maybe where people realized that there were issues with the band that's when all that shit came out when he was like fighting everybody and he jumped in the crowd and punched someone for having a camera and shit like, right yeah you know yeah but who hasn't done that <laughs> by the way when we're doing a remote show and you're bringing a camera ask permission first because i don't want to have to jump in the crowd and start punching people right. hey, chuck how about you man? use your illusion one and two I, I think they're i think they're great like i said i don't think that you can if you're going to talk about guns and roses you got to start with appetite and if you're going to talk about guns and roses just in general this kind of goes back to what I said before, as far as being at that time where there was like a lot of glam rock, mm -hmm. there were certain bands that kind of fit outside that mold and Guns N' Roses was definitely one of them. I think Molly Crew was another one of them that mm -hmm. didn't sound like everybody else. Guns, Guns N' Roses had their own grit, had their own style of playing. I, I think it was above everybody else. They're from the Sunset Strip, too. There was a lot of the bands that are the popular at the time, all from the Sunset Strip. They were from the Sunset Strip. When Appetite came out, they it, it fucking took over, man. Sweet Child of Mine, it just... It, it, they just started something new. And I, I think that they're actually one of the best bands that go down in rock history, as far I as agree. I'm concerned. You think that Illusion was a watered-down... Like, the sound was a watered-down version of... I, I think it was no, more I produced that, and less raw. Yeah. I think that's more of what they wanted to do, going back to what Len said. is I've always admired that about them, too, is they, they took it, I mean, going back to what I just said, they weren't doing all the other shit that all the other glam rock bands were doing. They did their own thing, and they were successful at it, and it was really good music. For, it, it, interesting, I have a, kind of a story on this one. I've mentioned it before in podcasts that I lived in the Philippines at the time, and I was a little bit like removed from modern music at that point because we just didn't have it over there available to us. We didn't have a, like a radio station we listened to. They didn't that, have Philippines. It was just, it was that. It was Things were in Tagalog, or it was just, it was a yeah. foreign kind of thing. But 
I went to, I was in the basketball team and we went to Manila and we had a, we had a day where we, oh, I, got, I got to interject. What's that? Go you ahead. Were, you were on the basketball team in the Philippines? Yeah. You had to be the tallest guy. Oh man, team. I dunked on everybody. How low were the baskets? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> but we went to the, we went to the mall and there was a, a, a record store there and I went in and the guy's, he's like, what are you looking for? I'm like, I don't know, I'm just looking for something new. He goes, hold on a second, I got some stuff for you. And he pulled out for me, it was Guns N' Roses, Appetite, it was NWA, it was, uh, there was Bon Jovi and Aerosmith and Twisted Sister. I bought all those at oh, the same wow. time. Like you said before, you listen to oldies and I grew up with that kind of stuff too a little bit. As soon as I put in Appetite or and NWA, is the same thing. Those two albums yeah. were the most aggressive albums I have yeah. ever heard. And I was like, holy shit, this is something different. They're cussing in it, first of all. And it, it hooked you. And like you wanted to, you were. You wanted more. Yeah, I wanted more. And for me, that was what really clinched it for me. And it's still a very aggressive album. I like that you brought up NWA because even though we're not particularly talking about them, they're like the influence that they had. Up Huge. And that start what they started. Yeah. Was they were at the same time right there. And you couldn't help but li not listen to both of them. They right. were in the equal ways. It was. It Complete was, opposite spectrum. Yeah. Both have had that really. Yeah. Massive impact, I think, on people. Speaking of that, that aggressiveness in the Guns N' Roses album, I remember being, I must have been like 12 years old when this album came out. And I remember purchasing it outside of my parents knowing about it. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> my mom and was driving me somewhere. For some reason, I put it on in the car. <laughs> and there's this song on the album called Get in the Ring where Axl Rose goes off right. on like magazine reporters, yeah. you know, oh, swearing yeah, 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 and yeah. talking yeah. about, and it was completely inappropriate. And I remember sitting in the car next to my mom and just being like mortified. Oh my God, why did I put this on? I remember my dad came in and, and had a conversation with me because I was blasting it in my room. And he was like, let me just tell you though, this music's okay, but you can't understand the lyrics and you really should listen to music like this. I'm like, dad, this is like the shit. <laughs> Your dad had, had a, a soft spot for, for some metal oh yeah he was huge into zeppelin and and he loved that kind of what stuff what was the, the one that you're uh oh, he loves black sabbath yeah war pigs yeah mm -hmm. yeah he was a huge fan of that one yeah. so so then what was the response from your mom my, my mom was actually pretty cool about it yeah and i, I think she, not like that but <laughs> i really encourage this <laughs> i think we just rolled into the next song and neither of us really said anything yeah. about it we and, just uh, moved on that's i feel that way toward my son's music same yeah. way with your father a lot of it just has a lot of the n-word in it and just stuff and like i told him i'm like you can't you can't be blasting this i think that's way to me it's way worse than listening to guns and roses yeah all right total record record sales keep in mind this is a double album uh to date 35 million that's pretty good in comparison to pearl jam was 15 so do they split that when it's a double album yeah like, so that's combined right so each so album counts i wonder how close they are Mm -hmm. I mean, do they sell them, only sell them together? No, know. certainly not. Right. You could buy yeah. them separately, right? Yeah. So, I, so I think actually they, didn't they used to come in a double? Yeah. I think you could get it that way, yeah, but now was, you can get it separately. One was red, one was blue. Definitely, I think, yes. I had to buy them separately. But the first when it came out, it was when I went to San Diego, yeah. it was two separate albums I had to purchase that Okay. Day. All right. What, what's, uh, what else is on the list for? Right. Uh, does Guns N' Roses exemplify a genre of music? Uh, yeah. Would you say? What, uh, yeah. I what they, is they, it? They, mm -hmm. I would say hard rock. Yeah. Hard rock? Yeah. yeah. Hard rock. Yeah. You're yeah right. Hard rock. Have, have they inspired other bands? Yes. Yeah, yeah, certainly. They actually, Guns N' Roses, I think this is more appetite destruction, but I think they're almost credited as being the band that led paved the way for grunge. I, really? I, I've seen that. I've seen that. Which is in interesting enough, though, because because Kurt Cobain hated Guns N' Roses. They there was a like, was, that, that was more with Axl Rose than it was. You're they, right. They had yeah. the whole thing because he I don't know if you remember their rewards ceremony and Nirvana had one. I think there was it was one year. Was it for the Grammys or where Guns N' Roses and Nirvana were in the same category? And Nirvana won and Axl Rose was shit talking. Kurt Cobain, I think he said something about his baby or something. Oh, and when they got up there, Dave Grohl had on the microphone, he's like, Axel, where are you? Or something uh, like that, like mm. totally antagonize him. So they had this riff for, that went on for I years. I didn't know that. And, yeah. yeah it was, Very interesting. Nice. What else is on there? Uh, would we say that they have new generations of fans? I would say, yeah. I don't think anyone's listening to anything new from them. Like I said, Chinese Democracy was not a great album. No, but I think there's younger people discovering Appetite. Mm, absolutely. I think I think any of these that have stood the test of time, there are always going to be new generations of people who are discovering them. Are they all on the same level of what they were back in the day when these albums came out? Right. No. They're not going to have that same impact. Do they have an impact? Yeah, of some sort they do. 
but it's been mentioned a couple times. Let's jump into a little Nirvana. Nevermind. Yeah. You guys okay with that choice? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Fuck you. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Nirvana was everywhere. When I was in, in college, man, I hated Nirvana. Man, I just could not stand them. Uh, are you on the right podcast right now? <laughs> <laughs> are you hosting this later? This, this, was, this was his topic that he brought to the table. So, so, whose fucking house am I in right now? So, <laughs> my neighbor used to, he had, he had a really nice stereo system and he would put Nirvana on and it was just on an endless loop and he would turn that thing up to 11 and he would go down the hall Sounds to the like lounge. Yeah. yeah. He, would, he would go down and leave it and i was in the room right next door back in the day it was just cinder blocks separating us and that was it and i could hear everything it was so freaking annoying and i used to go in there and unplug his speakers <laughs> and then he, it would take him so long that i'd be gone before he would yeah, figure it out it and yeah he, he could never figure out who was unplugging it i'm like dude it's you can't blame the band on that though that's his, his little guy <laughs> Uh, that was my experience <laughs> because of this guy you know that lived next to me in my dorm. <laughs> Dave, I'm sorry. It just wasn't my thing. Now, I will say this. I heard a nice special on Sirius Radio or something back when it was the 25th anniversary, a deep dive into some of the songs and some of the stories about the band and totally hooked me. Of the bands we've talked about so far, it's the only one, but it took me 25 years to appreciate them. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to give them the time of day back then in college. Yeah. For me, it was because they had, again, guitar because they were huge when I started playing. The whole album sounded so good and it was so simple. There wasn't a lot of complexity in the songs. And for me, as a teenager, just learning how to play guitar, I could play, I was, I was able to learn every single song of that album and just play it. And it was like, that for me was just so cool to be able to play along with these ones. And like, look, I can play In Bloom and I can play Lithium and whatever else. And it was just great. I think for me, that was more impactful than even the lyrics because I didn't really pay attention so much to the lyrics mm -hmm. of Nirvana so much as just the hooks and the sound. And that's what I liked about them, personally. For me, I remember being a teenager and seeing the Smells Like Teen Spirit video for the first time on MTV. Mm -hmm. And I just remember it's this chaotic mess of people just jumping around like at a mosh concert pit. mosh pit and it was this huge release this it was a place to let go of this all this pent-up aggression and as a teenager the whatever feelings you have and just trying to figure out a way to deal with that it was a way to like grasp onto something and it was something that i could relate to and it was just the loud music and the aggressiveness of it and the simplicity of it i think is like you say aaron that's really key to this it's not complex it's not a intricate song that you have to understand chord progressions and structures and all this kind of stuff and it just resonated yeah. it just hits you in the face yeah. and that was what i needed at that point in time in terms of music so i love the drums on the beginning of the song that, that i always enjoyed yeah I, I would say just going back to when i first heard them that was right after i, I had gotten back from my training from the basic then went AIT and I like I had stated before I had, I listened to the the Black Album by Metallica that's all I listened to but when you're in there you never have a chance to hear what on the radio mm -hmm. so the first night they my friends had picked me up we went out and they're like hey yeah so ha have you heard Nirvana I'm like what they're like oh this is the shit I was pretty blown away by it it was pretty cool and then I listened to the whole thing I like them a lot out of the three bands Soundgarden of the I think of the three major grunge that made it what it is Nirvana Pearl Jam and Soundgarden Soundgarden is my favorite because they, they just resonate with me more. But I think Nirvana at first was the most popular, really put what grunge on the map mm -hmm. before the other two had fouled. And I, and it does go back to the point, Len, like what you just said, you could definitely hear the derivatives of punk in there. Simple chords, really aggressive music, not really all that complex, but pretty impactful when you listen to it. And I think that Nirvana kind of signifies that whole the rawness to yeah, it. Yeah, it's very raw. Oh, I remember um, hearing it though, and sonically, like yeah. when they would go that song when it cuts to all of a sudden just the bass and the guitar going do do, and it's just so simple. I don't, I don't remember ever hearing that before that. I'm sure it was out there, but just it stood out like, oh shit, that's such an interesting sound and the bass yeah. really drove some of that, that new, whole album. It's something that you just like a new approach to music, right? Yeah. Like if you're listening to rock, which is where you have an appreciation for it. The, the thing about them, though, that there are people that are diehard Nirvana fans. I certainly have an appreciation for them. I'm, I'm not a diehard Nirvana fan. People, they, they also, the other claim, I, I think that Kurt Cobain was a good guitarist 
in his own right. But people will claim that he's one of more of the influential guitarists. And mm. that part, I, I, don't, I, don't think... I don't get. I'm not like a diehard Nirvana fan. I, I respect what they did in, in their place in, in rock history and whatnot. I've but... never thought of him as one of the top guitarists ever. I've heard that. I, and I think even in Rolling Stone magazine, he was rated like somewhere in the in my mind it's, it's more the lyrics i didn't really start listening to the nirvana lyrics or really paying attention to them till later you look back and, and you think gen x and when it came out it was, was the voice of that generation yeah and you th- you look at the yeah. lyrics with the lights out it's, it's a dangerous here we are now entertain us that's just it defines exactly how we all felt that time like we're here show us something do mm-hmm. something with us but yeah that's every kid the on their out, phone these like, days isn't it like <laughs> yeah but i think it re- resonated in that respect to a lot of gen xers especially, and I think that still resonates a little bit. Do you think, you know? you, I mean, this would be a question to ask an artist, but do you, do you think that they ever thought when they were writing those songs, like somebody's just going to totally dissect this music and what we're writing someday and I think over, it'd be crazy over, as overanalyze a, it. As an and, artist and, and a writer. Like, like, hey, I'm just here with a guitar writing some. Isn't that what you, you hope for? You could relate to it. As you're a songwriter and whatnot. I mean, it's a weird aspect, right, when you think about it years later. I think there's personal stuff that every songwriter puts into their song. For me, whenever I write music, I, I have a specific thing in mind. Yeah. But I try to keep it ambiguous enough because I don't really want to want to. I don't want you to follow my thought. I want you to have your own interpretation right. of it. And I think that, yeah. that a lot of albums like this or songs like, like Smells Like Teen Spirit, you, you interpret it how you're hearing it at that time and, and what you what you take out of it and your own personal experiences you can put into it. Is, is Nirvana the grunge band the epitome yes, yes. to your question i think did, I, oh, so there we go. I think soundgarden is the grunge band that's my personal uh, can you separate your love of soundgarden from this question <laughs> no i just think if you look at grunge soundgarden is they're way more they have such a bigger spectrum as far as what they played and it's different levels of it i don't know i though. think nirvana is mean, more just one one grunge style if but that makes, I have a thought on Soundgarden. And Soundgarden has more influence of metal in it, too, so maybe that's... But were they really... Honestly, though, I, I feel like Soundgarden came... Got, got they were after. actually out before Nirvana. They just didn't become popular until after. Popular Nirvana. afterwards. Yeah. I've never been a Soundgarden fan myself. Really? I, I didn't, I've not never even. What about them. Chris Cornell? I, I do not like his voice either. It, it's what? just grainy oh, and whiny. Man. Man. It's, <laughs> it's just whiny. It's whiny. It's one of the best voices of, of all time, dude. All I would listen to them over Pearl Jam, but they're a close second down there for me. Wow. That's a pretty strong statement. I'm with you on Chris Cornell. I think he's one of the best rock artists of all time his voice is unmatched to almost anybody he was all over the place his remakes even his re- even the, even his remakes you had to, the guy could take any song and fucking own it oh wow that's a pretty strong statement there I, I those can are say almost fighting words dude I I've, ne- I've never owned a, a Soundgarden album really? and I the only song I liked of theirs was Black Hole Sun and that was it that's a good song that is a good song what about Rusty Cage I don't even know what it is couldn't tell what? you what. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> what? <laughs> I could not tell you what that song is, honestly. I don't know. All right, so you guys are out saying that Nirvana is the definition of grunge. To me, when I think of grunge, the very first band I think of is Nirvana. Nirvana. See, now, I will say, though, for me, the first, and you obviously at Soundgarden, for me, Alice in Chains is my first first thought of, of grunge. grunge. See, and for me, Alice in Chains is more like hard rock. Yeah, like more hard rock, more metal-ish yep. than Nirvana. And I think we're splitting hairs. That's I mean, me. if you're going to talk about all four bands, Alice and James all day for me. Yeah. I love, I fucking love them. Yeah. And speaking of them, because they're not on the list, which they should be. But going back to that question about are they influential to the younger generations? I can speak from experience. The last time, one of the last times Alice and James came to Chicago, I was surprised at how many 20 year olds were there at an Alice and James concert singing, singing the song that they were playing. Mm-hmm. I had that same experience. And I, I was so happy to see that. I cannot believe this, that they, that a whole other generation is listening to these guys as they should be. Yeah. And really recognizing what they are. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. All right. So let's, let's go back to the questions. Are, uh, okay. Led. So we talked about, do they symbolize grunge? For yes. sure. Yes. Have they inspired other bands and musicians? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. New generations of fans for Nirvana? I would say. I think they, they have inspired new generations. I, I think people are listening to them. Obviously, they haven't put an album out since 94. <laughs> This is kind of a sh- I should get the band back together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, too soon, Chuck. Too soon. Uh, is it too uh, soon? Really? Yes. Okay. Total record sales: thirty million. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so, so if we look at number. all the bands so far, we've got Pearl Jam at 15 million. We've got Guns N' Roses at 35 million. We've got Nirvana at 30 million. And we've got Metallica at 48 million. Wow. So just a little side note. So in April 2021, that was the 520th week on the Billboard 200 chart for Nevermind. Really? Wow. Now, to be clear, I had to do a little more digging. It doesn't say consecutively. I guarantee after listening to this this episode, they're going to have an increase in sales. That's right. You're welcome, guys. How do they not? Yeah. You're welcome. This yeah. is going to impact millions. <laughs> Except for Pearl Jam. Sorry, it's, Pearl Jam. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why we're going out of business. So, so according to uh, my research, they were the seventh album in history to do that. So 520 weeks. And it joined... Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Excellent. Great album. Bob Marley, Legend. Great album. Journeys. (laughs) Journeys, Great Album. Not a great album. (laughs) Metallica, Black Album. Great album. Guns N' Roses, Greatest Hits. And Eminem's Curtain Call, The Hits. Guns N' Roses has a Greatest Hits? It's Appetite for Destruction. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that Guns N' Roses had a greatest hits, too. I I agree with Len on that one. Actually, that's pretty much on point. (laughs) Appetite is, it's good from start to finish. Every single song on that one. I've heard better. Except for Brett. Doesn't beat out Billy Joel. (laughs) Nothing does yet. Dude, don't knock Billy. He's got like 88 consecutive sold out shows in Madison Square Garden. He also knows his audience. He's in New York City. and well, Anyway, he, so do the New York Knicks. Oh. <laughs> do they? I don't know. Do they play there? I don't, really, I don't even know. All right. So let's, let's, let's talk about this last one here. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood, Sugar, Sex, and Magic. Mm-hmm. Man, this was the first album that I ever went out and bought. Oh, I lied. I'm sorry. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should start with Brett on this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Give us your thoughts first, because I think we all have opinions. Brett, how about this? Do you like the Red Hot Chili Peppers? <sighs> Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. All it's right. A start. It's a start. This yeah. is better than any of the other There's, a but. There's a but coming, though. Same thing. 25 years later. And I think it was just the people that I was around I found so annoying. Now, when the album came out, and I was a little goth Billy kid. Joel. And I was into Billy Joel. But I thought I was a little skater, <laughs> surf rat, goth kid. I was more into Eurasia and The Cure. And so this was not my stuff. Yeah. Now, I definitely think um, I find them more interesting. I don't know. Like, I will give it away under the bridge. Suck my kiss, I find annoying. Breaking the Girl, I think, is, is good. Breaking the Girl is um, awesome, yeah. So I, I, I acknowledge it. I think they've got really good... Uh, Songs. I think these are like classic Red Hot Chili Pepper songs. This to me is them. Yeah. Right yeah. This album. I would say that this band also created their own new unique sound. Like yeah. we talked about Nirvana with that. I was going to say, like, what, do, what do you guys think? I that they, agree. they took. What do you think funk, the Chili Peppers are in general? I, I would say it's funk metal rap. Like funk metal It's a combination of all yeah, three of right. those. There's no other band like, out there that sounds like them. And Flea's bass playing oh, is. Yeah. Unbelievable. He's the best bass player I've ever heard. Unbelievable. Like, yeah, I, I, some of his stuff he plays bass wise is just phenomenal. I he mean, wears a sock like nobody else too. <laughs> let me tell you, he's, a, he's got a good stage presence where he's. He's entertaining. He gets into his own. That's that's it. I got to say, for me, I wasn't as hugely into Blood Sugar Sex Magic at first because I was really more into metal at the time and and even grunge. And this didn't stand out in any of that. Growing up in the 70s, even as a kid, I was huge into funk. I loved the funk sound and that kind of stuff. But I didn't get that out of this album at first. And I didn't really buy into it. I didn't really vibe with it much until probably later on in college. And then probably more so after Californication came out. And then I started going, okay, I dig this stuff. And I, at that point, I I, I, I own Blood Sugar Six Magic. I, I knew the song, so it wasn't going back and rediscovering it. But it's just more rediscovering the album itself. It, it wasn't new. It just now I understand, now I, I get, have a better appreciation for it at that point. I would say that happened for me with the the two albums that they recently released. Mm-hmm. With they, Which, they just put out two two well, albums. One. Mm-hmm. Played some of that for me. That was that was good. I love that. Yeah, I don't know what they did. Some stuff is great. Yeah, it, and it kind of made me go back and re-listen to some of the old stuff See? more, and that's really a, that's appreciate. A good band. It, it made me appreciate more than just Flea 
and how the guitar meshes in there. And I never really had thought about the lyrics much, but Anthony Kiedis, apparently when he writes lyrics, it's almost like a stream of consciousness. He's just making things up and putting things together. But in the end, it comes into a cohesive. I saw an interview with him. What he does is that the band comes and puts the song structure together. They do all that stuff. And then he takes it and throws it in his car and just drives around. And as he's thinking of it, he's just trying to hear the vibe, hear what he says. But like you said, stream of consciousness, what's coming on to this? And, and somehow he ties it together. Yeah, if you does, really look at the lyrics really well uh, of their songs, they're not telling a story. Some of them are. Obviously, Under a Bridge is a definitely a story. Because I think they probably all are on some level, but not like a story of Sweet Child of Mine, for example, or, or uh, even Nirvana, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, has a little bit more of a cohesive understanding mm-hmm. of a story where his kind of go all over the place. But they work so well together. Mm-hmm. It's got nonsensical words, just the yeah. silly good rhyme, and it just fits with the band, with, with the groove and the bass and everything. Yeah. Just, it's unique. They, yeah. they they are very unique. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, unique is definitely a word that I would describe for them. Genre wise, I guess that's pretty good. Funk metal. What do we say? Funk metal. Funk metal rap. Funk metal rap. Did you guys watch it, that Funky Monks no. documentary no. about them? I didn't when know. they were recording this album, they went. It was a house that had been lived in by Harry Houdini back in the day, and somebody else too. Some relative was recording them while they were recording. So it's got this whole video of them and it's really interesting. Obviously the guys are a lot younger and, and they're talking about the album. We're, Which album is this? What are they recording? Is this Blood Sugar Sex? Blood, Blood Sugar Sex okay. Magic. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Fun- Funky, Funky Monks. Monks. Interesting. They were also around before that. Before yeah. they, they, they were, yeah. they, mm-hmm. they're more of an underground. But their uh, their sound and Mother's Milk had a little bit of a, of a breakthrough yeah. a little bit with and the I think higher that they ground. Were more, they started out more like punk. Yeah. Definitely more punk and skater punk. Where their energy was. Sound surfer. to them a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Southern, surfer, yeah. Southern California yep. punk yeah. uh, is really probably a good way of saying it, too. But it, but Mother's Milk kind of started that mainstream, but then Blood Sugar just, that's what launched them. Cool. That was their crossover. Yeah, going back, going back to Anthony, he has a really cool vocal structure. He raps, he sings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's all over the place. He's, he like doesn't said, do yeah. a, a typical what? rhythm structure in a song. What <laughs> did you say? Scats? Yeah, it's a song. It's a, it's can a you, singing song. What, can you give us a scat? Can you demonstrate for us <laughs> what a scat is? <laughs> Many of the moocher. Go, go listen to that. <laughs> Great. Now their sales are going all up. Right. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. All right. So, so, uh, were they were they relevant or are they or in where? terms of number of record sales they're the the least of all the bands we've talked about blood sugar sex sex magic 10 million to date lame <laughs> um it's hard to put a genre of music on them yeah. i think you did it's, <laughs> it's their own it's yeah. their own sound yeah would we say they've inspired other successful bands and musicians i would say yeah. at a minimum flea has yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And John Frusciante's guitar playing is so tasty. Oh, actually, all four of them. In my mind, they're one of the few bands, especially from that time, that has that really you can I mean, you turn on TV today and there are they'll, they'll have an interview with, with they're any on 60 of them. minutes. Yeah. And they're and they're still talking about stuff. And they, talk, they so all, all four of those musicians are top notch and very personable, very outgoing. And, and yeah. And they're they're selling out arenas yeah. across the world yeah. right still. now with yeah. the new album that they just put out so yeah. yeah i think so they're still relevant yeah speaking of that uh donnie Wahlberg was on wgn yeah. yeah i saw him and he was talking about new kids on the block another one of brett's favorite albums probably is you know, so far i wouldn't be surprised got a problem with that but like he's talking about these tours and I'm, like, tough, man. and I'm like who the fuck still listens to new kid on the block somebody does because they're still selling out arenas every time you think a band sucks Look at to see if they're selling out big venues. If they they're are, doing then like a fan they, experience. They thing have now. they have a fan base. Yeah, like, I'm like, it just it blows my mind. You you don't think that they're really relevant, but just because you're not listening to them anymore doesn't mean that the well, like, other like aren't. even like Taylor Swift, she's super talented, right? Super successful. I don't really care to listen to any of her songs. I can't tell you any of her. But she's by far one of the biggest artists of of all time. Yeah, sells, continually sells out arenas. Yeah. Her albums always go number breaks one. Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster. She yeah. breaks Ticketmaster. That's a thing. We should have a whole uh, podcast on Ticketmaster. Fucking Ticketmaster and ticket sales and all that bullshit. Yeah. So, Brett, yeah. where, where did these five bands come from? So, why, why are we. I'm telling you, <laughs> besides besides all ones that you don't like. Because, they, because they, <laughs> Brett, I'm going to choose the, they the, were my, my least favorite albums of all my time re- and talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to make a list of all the albums that I've never liked or listened to, you know, that's a really good question. Thanks for asking. So just to recap, we have Blood Sugar Sex Magic, 
We had Nevermind. We had 10. And User Illusion 1 and 2. 1 and 2. And then and Metallica's Metallica Black Album. Black. They all came out within six weeks of each other. Yeah. In the fall of 1991. Nevermind and Blood, Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out on the exact same day. Hmm. September 24th. Didn't REM's Out of Time also come out that yeah, same, the same even time? Yeah, don't started on REM, dude. <laughs> but I think there was more. I think there was a couple other albums uh, that came out oh. that were pretty influential as well. Oh, but I was there? So, yeah. There was, yeah, REM, by the way, is they came out in March of that mm -hmm. year. Okay. But Van Morrison had an album, The Pixies, Primal Scream, The Cult, Caius, Brian Adams. I know you're a big Brian, Brian Adams, Adams fan. <laughs> James Taylor. All had albums that came out on that day. Same with uh, Tribe Called Quest. Ooh, that's a great. We should. We can talk about them. I, 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 great. What? That's a great album. Tell me about it. Low End Theory. Yeah, every song on there is. We listened to that thing up and down during high school when it came out. It's just that unique. What's that's like a, a specific genre of rap too. I don't know. I can't remember. It's like the same time Queen Latifah came out. There's like a, a few like bands. Acid rap or uh, or jazz rap or I, I don't can't know remember what it was. It was just unique. Mm -hmm. It was just like, it's a great album. I, I probably can't yeah. do it justice when explaining. Oh, no, so far you're really nailing it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that anybody probably in, in of our age group has listened to it. Right? Actually, yeah. I honestly have never have. I, you I've never, you never should, listened to Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nor have I. Yeah. Nice. You guys are killing me right I now. I recommend that you do listen to it. <laughs> Actually, Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger was supposed to come out on September 24th as well, but it got pushed back due to quote-unquote production problems, so it didn't come out until October 8th. But I saw that little tidbit come up, that they, these all came out within six weeks of each other, yeah, and I could arguably that. say that these were very influential albums, especially at the time that they all were released. Mm -hmm. Beginning of the year, for about eight weeks or so, nine weeks, number one artist, the album To the Extreme, Oh, anybody? Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice. <laughs> and next for even longer, from beginning of March until middle of May, Mariah Carey. Oh, good old Mariah. Yeah. REM's out of time. Knocked her out of the, of the top chart there or top spot. That was more my type of music. Michael Bolton came in with a number one album. Oh, we didn't talk about Michael Bolton. We Michael did not. Bolton. We didn't talk about Paula Abdul. NWA, there was a reference to them. They were in there in June. It is a Skid Row had a number one album. They're Slave oh. to the Grind. Van Halen's For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge was that's in a, there. That's a good album. Yeah, any, anything Van Halen I like. Natalie Cole was huge that summer. Oh. She had her Unforgettable, the duet with her dad that they did. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. That was huge. Uh, Metallica came in uh, for about four or five weeks at, at number one. Garth Brooks, Rope in the Wind huge album um so he came in at number one got knocked out by guns and roses use your illusion one and two or two and which gun what's guns and roses were we talking about use your illusion no which metallica oh black? The, the black album yeah the black, black album, album? Oh, okay all right welcome so, to the podcast yeah. <laughs> if you just I joined us you just joined us <laughs> you said that was 91 though yeah yeah for some reason i was thinking that was like 90 or before that but. no and then rope in the wind garth brooks came back in for another eight weeks knocked use your illusion out hmm. he was knocked out by u2 octung baby that was a decent album it was. that got displaced by michael jackson's dangerous album which was and is one of the best-selling albums of all time as well that's not I'm, crazy i'm not uh, i could I don't know if I'm dating myself or not, but I, I, I saw Michael Jackson in concert. Oh, yeah. Did you really? And, and you had the jacket and everything. I, well, did I you wear, wear the jacket to the concert? I did not. I did not. But, uh, did you sleep over his house? <laughs> oh, <laughs> did you see Bubbles the Chimp? <laughs> yeah. Nirvana, by the way, never mind, didn't hit number one until February of 1992. Interesting. So it took months before it, it got up there. Rope in the Wind knocked them out of number one again. That was... Once wow. again, number one album for another six, eight weeks or something crazy. And then Wayne's World came and dethroned Rope in the Wind. Really? Yeah. Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah. And then Queen came back again. That was their reintroduction. I think a lot of our introductions to Queen. My question, out of these five albums that we just discussed, are they classic rock? No. It's funny because mm. they're getting played on the radio station. 
Classic rock. Let's come back to that for sure. Uh, let's real quick do a quick shout out again to this beer. If you forgot at this point, we were drinking Bottled, bottled, bottled Logic. Logic Paisley Cave Complex. Really good. Len, thank you for joining us again. Chuck, thank you for coming back and joining us Thanks again. A lot of me. fun. For you listeners at home, what was your favorite album from 91? And of those albums, which one do you think is the best one? And which one do you think is the worst? Give us your rankings. We appreciate it. If you like what you heard today, check us out at AYSM.show. You can learn more about these things. And then uh, tune in because uh, another episode will be coming up of uh, 